Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad you're here. I'm Doug Christensen. I'm a missionary with SIM. And I'm going to facilitate a discussion on the topic, Raising Prayer and Financial Support, Thriving for a Lifetime. But before we start, I like to get to know people. That's kind of a Bolivia thing where my family and I served for years. Everyone say your first name and where you're from. So we'll start over here. Wonderful. Nolan from Michigan. Steffi from Iowa. Bill from Bristol. Okay. Jocelyn from Alabama. Logan from Alabama. Mabel from Nigeria. I'm originally from northern New Jersey, New York City. I've tried to downplay my accent, but currently living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this afternoon session. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for showing up, your Holy Spirit, touching all of us through what we've seen, heard, the people we've met, the things you're putting on your on each of our hearts. May your Holy Spirit work in this Quick question. Why did you come to this session? What is there something that you're hoping to get out? Let me just hear a couple of thoughts. What is something that you would hope to gain from this session? Sustainable fundraising, and what was the second thing you said? Support. Support. Okay. Someone else? Just looking for any other tips because I'm in the middle of it right now. Okay. <laughs> tips. Uh, tips on forming healthy partnerships with local churches. Wonderful. Wonderful. One more. Like the lifetime aspect of it. Yeah. Lifetime aspect. Good. Good. Well, you're all going to get a small gift. Is Paul, could you give each one uh, one of these little booklets? Five Keys to Personal Support Raising. And this is something you can read. I'm not going to uh, go through this booklet in the session, but I will read the first sentence. And this is written by my friend Steve Shadrach, who wrote the book The God Ask, who formed the organization Support Raising Solutions, and we'll talk about that in the session. But he has this quote from many young people that he has met and encouraged over the years. I want to serve God and be obedient to his leading in my life, but I don't want to raise money. Any of you ever feel like that? Is that kind of like a little bit of a pit in your stomach? So, yeah, we're going to touch on some of this. I serve with SIM. It's a mission organization, 125 years originally called the Sudan Interior Mission when three young men went to Sub-Saharan Africa. And what do we do? We bring the good news of Jesus to places we're most needed. Um, we've got over 4,000 workers, probably from over 100 nationalities, serving in probably over 100 locations, 
very multinational, come from many different church backgrounds, but committed to the good news of Jesus Christ. Medical outreach is a big part of what we do around the world. What do I do? Well, early in my career, I was a CPA working in New York City, New Jersey area, had a specialty in healthcare, auditing hospitals. God called me to missions. I served with my family in Bolivia back in the 80s and 90s, working among the Quechua people, helping to start a a local church with the Quechua people, working with a Christian medical center for the poor, a Christian orphanage for the poor, even played semi-professional basketball on a Christian team that almost won the national championship by one point. We would have gone on to the highest level, the South America Cup, but we lost. But I have been having fun in Charlotte, North Carolina, for the past 20-plus years, managing missionary finance. It means I sit down and meet with missionaries and help them prepare a monthly support budget. And also, what do you need for your ministry? I help them plan one-time needs budgets. And over the years of monitoring the finances of our missionaries, I was generally the first person to know who was hurting. And so I kind of morphed into a second role that I also do simultaneously, and that is leading SIM support raising training team. And what we do is we do training for our new and veteran workers how to biblically build and maintain a full and engaged prayer and financial support team. Let me say that again how to biblically build and maintain a full and engaged prayer and financial support team. And you're going to notice that finances are not enough. You need prayer support. And in this session, we're going to talk about why that's important. Have any of you raised support for a missions trip? Raise your hand. You've done this. How many of you did this by writing a letter, whether you put it in the mail or an email, and ask for support. Maybe you put it out on social media, Facebook. Okay. How many of you actually got up in front of a group, maybe a church group, church service, small group, and mentioned your needs? We have at least one person. Okay. What was your experience? Any you volunteer? What was it like? Logan, I'm going to pick on you because I know you are raising support. What's the experience like for you, Logan? Yeah. Sure, sure. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, I did it for the first time this summer. I took a month long trip and it was very uncomfortable yeah. to send out a letter and it's very like contrary to mm-hmm. the ways that I was trained to think. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Let me ask this question. How many of you have given financially to support another missionary? Okay. Why did you do it? Why did you choose to make a gift? What what motivated you? Okay, what else? Believed in the cause. Okay. Think about it. For some of you now in this room, Maybe God is nudging you to more than just a short-term mission trip, you know, whether it's with your church or with some organization. But possibly if God were to lead some of you in this room to long-term missions, 
would it take more than just sending one or two emails asking for people to support? Yeah, it's going to mean meeting with people. I'm going to do something right now with all of you. I do this in the training sessions I do at SIM in Charlotte as we help onboard new missionaries. We're going to get in groups of two for about three minutes. And we're going to do a role play. Okay? Whoever's birthday is earlier to January 1st is the person who's going to pretend that they're a missionary and they're meeting with their longtime college best friend. Do you got the idea? So if your birthday is closer to Christmas, you're the person who's meeting with this prospective missionary, and this friend is going to tell you very briefly, God is leading me to go to, I don't know, you know, wherever you want to pick, South Africa. You just pick some place, you know, to do something. And in this three minutes, this is really condensed. I want you to invite your friend to be a prayer and financial partner and just see how this goes. So we're going to get into groups of two, and it can't be, if you're here with someone, you can't pair with your spouse or the friend you came with. Get into groups of two. Do this standing up. Everybody stand up in the room. Okay? And there's a reason I'm doing this. So find a partner. Everybody find a partner. Okay? Logan, over here in the corner. Okay. Okay, everybody listen. Everybody listen for a minute. Okay. You got it? One person is a prospective missionary. You're meeting back up with your longtime college friend you haven't seen in years. You know, you know, this is a lunch meeting. You've come to the end of the lunch meeting. You've already shared what it is that God wants to do, you know, what God is calling you to do. And in these final three minutes, I want you to... Invite this person to be a prayer and financial partner. The other person, don't make it easy. You know, make it a little bit hard, and let's see what happens. Go. One more minute, one more minute, and then finish up, please. Okay, let's get back to our seats. Come on back in, please. How did it go? Show of hands, how many people got a positive response from their best friend? They said yes. Okay. How many people got a maybe? How many people got a no? Okay. How did it go? How did you feel, the people that were doing the presentation, the support conversation, how did you feel? Yeah. The person raising support. Was it hard? Was it easy? Was it awkward? What words come to mind? Well, I was going to say it's a little bit more than just a word, but my partner and I kind of came to the conclusion that it depends on the relationship that you have. Hmm. Because, because this was a position where it was like someone that you already had some sort of relationship with, right. it made it a little bit easier where other experiences that I've had in the past were trying to get support from people who really don't have a relationship mm. with you. You have an established trust. Yeah. Trust is pretty vital in, you know, financial or any other support. Well said. So it, it was easier, yeah. Very good point. Very good observation. Someone else? Sometimes, though, you don't want to damage the relationship. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What could have gone better? What could have gone better? If you could do this over again, how would you do it differently? Yes. Right. A greater awareness, greater preparation. And I intentionally sprung this on you with zero preparation. You had no idea. But I wanted you just to, in a sense, feel a little bit about the emotion because you're going to face some similar things. If God calls you into ministry, and especially if God calls you into ministry in an organization where they ask you to raise the prayer and financial support. You're going to be having conversations with people. It's not just going to be writing a letter, not just doing a large group like Logan said. It's going to be doing some one-on-one meetings. Why do we need prayer and financial support? Why? What comes to mind? God calls us to community and not to be one's greatest. Yeah, yeah. And it's the body of Christ. And it's a benefit to those who support us as well as yeah. What else? What else? I'm sorry? It doesn't work without it. It doesn't work without it. How many people here are the godchild of Warren Buffett or the Bill Gates Foundation? And anybody here like that? Fully funded? No. Yeah. Most of us don't have the savings. What else? Yeah. It's God's work. What happens when we pray? He listens. And things happen. Yeah, I chose that picture intentionally. People are drawn to Christ when we pray. There are breakthroughs. We can't do this alone. And I even think, is the Great Commission just for those who are called? No, it's for all of us. Some God calls to go like he did with me and my family back in the 80s when we packed up and went to Bolivia. For others, his calling is to be those financial patrons, gospel patrons, financial partners, whatever term you want to use. Others, he calls to be the cheerleaders, people to pray and encourage you, especially when you're facing the hard times. Uh, Tough questions. These are two that, we always touch on in the training that we do at SIM with new workers. Is living on support biblical? Is asking for support biblical? That first question, that's a tough one. Sometimes I've met up with young people who their parents have said, I don't think you should do this. You know, you need something with a guaranteed paycheck. You're just going to go around begging. Why are you throwing away your career? And to go from having a good paycheck, like I did in New York City as a CPA, to becoming a missionary in SIM, I took a 70% pay cut with four children. And do you know that God provided? God provided. Even getting all of them through college with virtually no student loans. That was just a praise. God provided. What about asking for support? When I joined SIM back in the 1980s, the Fundraising philosophy at the time was full information, no solicitation. You know, it was kind of, I used to call that the hint-hint method of fundraising. I could go around and talk to my friends, you know, and I could say, hmm, wouldn't it be great if I was at full support and my family and I could 
go to Bolivia next week as missionaries? And my friend would say, yeah, hmm, that would be great, wouldn't it? You know, you kind of have to hop around and hope they get the drift. Sometimes, you know, there's, again, and I'm not in any way belittling some of the heroes of the faith like George Mueller, you know, who, you know, basically shared his needs with God alone and God provided. And yet, as we go through scripture, you know, I have not yet been able to find a prohibition about inviting people to give. As a matter of fact, um, you'll find in Scripture that God does call people to leaders to invite people to bring tithes and offerings and to give to God's work. But these are questions that, in some degree or another, you're going to have to work on if God is calling you to full-time missions. What are some of the obstacles that missionaries face when raising support? What obstacles come to mind? Anyone? Say that louder, please. You don't have enough support, but you still want to go? Okay. What else? Right. Yeah, yeah, that is an obstacle when people don't understand. What else? Being uncomfortable asking for help. Yeah, being uncomfortable inviting people to give. Logan, you're an expert at this. What are some of the biggest obstacles you face? I'm sorry I'm picking on you because I know you told me you're lit. Logan is currently a missionary working in a campus ministry. And is it Mississippi or Alabama? Uh, actually, I traveled throughout the U.S., but the next year Okay, okay. What are the biggest obstacles that you and your fellow teammates face? Uh, for me, it was people belittling like, my, my work. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Well, Steve Shadrach, the one who wrote this little pamphlet and some other books, did a survey. And his top list, fear was the biggest one, being afraid. Being afraid to ask, being afraid to trust God. Lack of training. Doubts. Time. Uh, pride. And sometimes it comes down to lack of contacts, especially for people who are newer believers, you know, or in a very small church network, maybe living in a more rural area. How does God help us to overcome obstacles like the ones we've just mentioned? How can God meet with us to deal with some of those obstacles? What comes to mind? Having people around you to pray for you, encourage you. Yes, community, especially the people of faith. Yes, what else, Mabel? Yes. Wonderful. To be able to be in a place with anyone and then you have to be try as much as possible to be 
Indian world, not of the world, that way you, you are hearing when the spirit is prompting you to open your mouth. Yeah. Mabel, those are good words. I'm going to just briefly repeat for the recording the word of God, looking at the examples of how God was faithful in the past. My father, his life verse was trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I saw how God met with my father, my grandfather, and my forefathers and was faithful. And that has given me much encouragement. Um, what else? What else can help us when we face obstacles? God's timing is not necessarily our timing. Right. God's timing is not our timing. What else? Yes. God can remove some of obstacles within us if we have a fear. I will pray that he may take away the yeah, fear. Yeah. If it's about pride, so asking him mm. to give him the If it's about whatever, so God is faithful yeah. when we recognize him. Yes, yes. Those are obstacles, and we take it to him yeah. in the prayer. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, amen, brother. Yes, we pray and ask God to take away those obstacles. When I was... In that situation in the 1980s, quitting my job as a CPA, getting ready, here I was 30 days out with having air tickets, and yet our mission said you had to be at full support. You couldn't get on the plane if you weren't at 100%. And yet I was still convinced it was time to go. You know, it was uh, language, you know, a whole semester of language study was ahead of me so I could learn, you know, Spanish. And I remember reading that passage in the book of um, Joshua about how God called the leaders of the tribes of Israel to get their feet wet in the Jordan River before he would do that miracle of parting the waters. You know, and I felt that God was speaking to me. I had to take steps of faith. Quitting that job, to giving notice, selling the house, giving away furniture. And you know those last 30 days, God provided every, every, every amount that was needed. We got on that plane 30 days later fully supported, praise God. Thriving for a lifetime. You notice that in the subject of this session that we're doing. You know, raising prayer and financial support and thriving for a lifetime. I have been in ministry as a missionary of the gospel for 35 years. And I have faced my share of trials. In Bolivia, my close Bolivian colleague was arrested and imprisoned on false charges. And he was in prison for close to six years where I fought for his freedom. I came probably within inches of being arrested and thrown in jail with him. It was incredible spiritual opposition. And I thought, you know, getting the best lawyer, getting a Harvard-trained lawyer, surely this would, you know, go by in no time. But it was spiritual warfare. And it took years of concentrated prayer, even prayer meetings throughout the nation of Bolivia and even here in the U.S., until my friend was finally released. Years later, the Lord led my family to the U.S. And within two years after coming here, my late wife, Esther, got cancer. And it was two years of, can- of surgery, chemotherapy. God healed her from that. The cancer never reappeared. Then, oh, I don't know, in 2014, my late wife, Esther, noticed something was wrong, thought it was orthopedic. She was diagnosed with ALS. 
And that began a five-year journey where quickly she lost the ability to speak, breathe on her own, needing a ventilator, couldn't eat you know, without a feeding tube. And all she had was the ability to blink her eyes. And I had two adult daughters that moved home, and we did 24-7 care until Jesus finally healed her and took her home. But during those years, Esther never gave up on Jesus. I was convinced that just like, you know, Jesus healed or brought Lazarus back from the dead, I really believed he could have done it, even though there was no known miracle in modern medicine of someone being healed from ALS. But God gave her the grace. He gave me the grace to get through day by day and not give up. And it had a lot to do with the people who for those 35 years not only supported us financially to do this ministry, but to pray for us and to be those cheerleaders. But for those of you in this room, many of you are thinking about a career in missions, whether it's medical missions or something similar. You know, I have been watching missionaries because I've been managing the financial support. I've been doing the support raising training. I have visited these missionaries in Nigeria and in India and Afghanistan and and throughout Latin America, parts of Europe. And I've seen people thrive, and I've seen people where the opposition has been so much, they don't make it. They, you know, either the enemy has victory, and they just have to give up and quit. But some of these things are too much work, not enough help, especially among medical professionals. There's always more patients than your clinic or hospital can see in a day. I've seen workers at under-resourced overseas medical centers. They do not have the technology, the resources, the staffing that you have here in the U.S. I've seen interpersonal breakdowns, team breakdowns, where just division happens and you can't get along. I've seen issues of poor leadership, governance, even when it's expatriate Westerners that are in charge. I've also seen it where there's been difficulties in governance and leadership when it's, you know, cross-cultural situations. I've seen it all. Culture shock, spiritual warfare, marriage difficulties, difficulties with children, illness, loneliness, the list goes on. Well, how do you thrive? How do you thrive for a lifetime? I'm going to give you just four areas where God has done a work in my life. There's probably more, but for this session, we'll just touch on these first four things. The first is to have a good and thorough biblical foundation. Not just, I mean, it's got to even include your calling, why you're going. To have that certainty is, does God really mean for me to be a missionary of the gospel, to uproot my family from northern New Jersey and take them to Bolivia? God gave me that certainty through the scriptures, through the Holy Spirit. But he also, in this area that we're talking about, in the area of thriving, in having, uh, building and maintaining a full and engaged prayer and financial support team. In SIM, we kind of um, have a very short, I call it our ethos, principles, and practices of fundraising. And I help lead this process with our development team, the team that raises funds corporately for the mission organization, the projects, the ministries, the hospitals, but also for the team that I lead that trains the individual missionaries who raise financial support. You have to have a strong Biblical foundation. We ask our missionaries to do a Bible study from through Old Testament passages through New Testament passages on how um, God c- 
cares for his workers, provides for his workers and his ministries. And there's just three chapters that you could develop a pretty sound three-point biblical foundation in this area. And Matthew 6, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is where I found these three points. First, that God has infinite resources and graciously provides for his uh, for his workers and his ministries. He is the provider. Sometimes we think that God has finite resources or that the provider is my church or my rich uncle or these different friends. No, God is the provider. He's the one who touches hearts, who moves people to invest their time, their talent and treasure in world mission and in the ministries that God is calling to you. So again, God is the provider. Secondly, by prayer, we ask in faith for God's provision. Okay? There has to be that element of faith and asking. And third, God invites followers of Jesus to give generously. So God, in, God invites followers of Jesus to give generously for his work. So having a biblical foundation is extremely important. Secondly, having a right perspective. Okay, first is having a biblical foundation. Second, right perspectives. Why am I going? Who is our provider? Will he provide for me? Why should people give and pray? Why should we invite others to pray, to give? Here's a diagram that we use in our training. It's called the, uh, the God Ask. And over here you see a triangle. God at the top, ministry worker in the bottom left, on the bottom right, ministry partners. The ministry worker asks God for provision from his resources. A ministry partner asks God where to invest his resources. The ministry worker on the bottom extends the invitation for a ministry partner to work together. So together we ask God. Third is pray. Pray. Um, I'll share how God transformed me. I, in this season, I've been looking at the book of Luke, and especially that verse, Luke 11, verse 1, where it says, after Jesus was praying in, in a certain place, one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Here I am, a man in my mid-60s, and sometimes you could think, I grew up in a great community of faith. I grew up in a Christian home. I learned to pray when I was just a young child, seeing the example of my parents. But do you know, here I am, after decades of walking with Jesus, I'm still learning to pray. During that season of my late wife Esther's illness with ALS, um, the Lord taught me. The Lord taught me from Psalm 13 that even though things were, were very difficult in my wife, she was not getting better, she was only getting worse. But I was learning from the psalmist to keep praying, to keep trusting, to keep hoping, to keep rejoicing, to keep, um, to keep hope alive. Hope that even if God was not going to heal her in this life, he was going to take her home. So this is my encouragement. I have an app up here. If for some of you, you don't have an organized prayer journal, my encouragement to you in this session is have some organization in your life. Whether you like a written prayer journal, like my wife uses. Oh, I, oh, I didn't mention that. I'm a newlywed. I'm just recently remarried. 
And my wife, Debbie, a dentist, did, had the same journey caring for a spouse with ALS, only longer and harder. She cared for her husband for seven years. So the two of us, we knew we needed somebody special, somebody who knew each other's hurts. And so we're in a brand new season of healing. But during that season, when I was caring for Esther, I used this Permade app that I found. It's a free app. You can get it on Android or in the uh, iStore, you know, the uh, uh, for iPhone. But what I like about it is it's just so easy to use. I create pages. I have pages for each of my children, each of my grandchildren, so I can pray for them. But I also make pages of biblical prayers. I learned to use scripture, passages of scripture that God was putting on my heart, and I use them to pray. And I also have feeds where I get a daily prayer request from the Joshua Project, from SIM with daily prayer requests. I get it in English. I get it in French. I'm trying to... Even though I know Spanish, I'm trying to teach myself French right now. But there's people, I pray for my neighbors, that they would come to Christ. So my encouragement to you is, um, if you don't have a way of keeping yourself organized in your prayer life, try something like prayer meet. And have that heart attitude of learning to pray. Pray is not just asking God, it's spending time with Jesus. You know, worshiping him. Uh, listening to him, God can take you to another place. And this is going to be something that will help you, especially when you face those tough times in life. The fourth point, the, the, of the four points I'm sharing, the first um, was biblical foundation. Uh, the second was right perspective. Third was learn to pray. And the fourth one where we are now is learn best practices. Find out what are the best resources, what are the best training materials. Learn from others who have walked on this journey of having a prayer and financial support team. And some of these materials I've used for years, Scott Morton's book, Funding Your Ministry. Scott Morton is probably one of the most well-known people around the world in training people on how to have a prayer and financial support team. He's the international funding coach for the Navigators, based out of Colorado Springs. I've met him, got to know him over the years. His book, Funding Your Ministry, on the left. The other one that is probably equally well-known is the one on the right, the God Ask book by Steve Shadrach and the organization that he founded, Support Raising Solutions. And that's the book that we use now at SIM. Uh, How do we do it? How do I do this at SIM? I've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Well, we know people have busy lives, so we invite them to join an online class. In this online class, the first thing we do is have them go through a Bible study. And they look from Genesis to Revelation. How does God provide for his servants? How does God provide for his ministries? How does God encourage believers to invest in his work? So you have to have that biblical foundation. Secondly, they read the book. And then they prepare for what we call a three-day boot camp that we do at SIM, where we do things like set goals. Um, um, we, we talk about overcoming hindrances, obstacles, how to be vision-driven, not budget-driven. What I mean by that is, as I set budgets for workers, I'm not trying to set the most expensive ones possible. I'm not trying to set the lowest, cheapest one that is not livable, but something that's good and right for you know, a, a single or for a couple or family. We talk about communication skills, writing prayer letters. We talk about presentations. I like the, the term that crew uses. 
They don't call it a support presentation. If you go through training with crew, it's called a support conversation. So as you're meeting with people, you don't want it to be just a monologue where all you're doing is speed talking, but you're engaging with people. And our heart, our heart at SIM is that as you meet with people, that they would feel more blessed because they met with you to hear about the gospel and God's calling in your life. Whether they say yes, no, or maybe is irrelevant. But what we're teaching people is to minister to people through these uh, support conversations, whether they be one-on-one, small group, or speaking in front of a church. We also do introductions to administrative tools. You know, I personally use the one on the left called MPDX. It's actually an app developed uh, originally by Troy Walbrink, another friend of mine, but now Crew as an organization has made this available to probably over 500 organizations. Logan, are you using MPDX? Yeah. I also use DonorElf. I'm friends with the guy who created DonorElf. Um, you know, but these are all tools. I have about 750 people that get my prayer updates. Even several people here at this conference have thanked me for the updates that my wife and I are sending them. Not just to talk about us, but to be able to bless them as partners in ministry. But we use the contact manager, so I know what their address is, their cell phone, their email address, and other information. My wife and I just finished. We visited four churches, four uh, mission conferences in two and a half weeks. Without a contact manager, I would be lost. We also teach people how to use an email listserv app like MailChimp. I've been using this I don't know how long. But this is how I send out my prayer updates. Other people use blog posts. Some are using an app called Epistle, which is especially good for people in in, uh, restricted access locations where they're really trying to keep their information private from not going out too far. Um, Support Raising Solutions gives good blog posts. I even just completed coaching training. I wish I had done this years ago. Uh, just so that I can be better even in cross-cultural training, but helping people where the training is not enough, but to meet with people on a bi-weekly basis or bi-monthly basis to be able to help them as they're on that journey of building their prayer and financial support team. Some key questions as some of you are considering missions. Here are some questions that I would ask you to try and remember. You know, what's the value of going, of applying with your agency. When Esther and I were looking at this, you know, uh, when, when I was stepping down from my CPA role, my church said, look, Doug, we're not sending you just as an accountant. We want to send you as a missionary. They said, go to seminary. So I went to seminary. I went to CIU in Columbia. And during those years, we looked at different mission organizations. But I wanted one where I felt that the purpose, the heartbeat of the organization resonated with ours. I wanted one where you're kind of entrusting yourself and your family to have that spiritual covering, that accountability. And I wanted to make sure there was a right fit. And the Lord led us to SIM. And SIM is a great mission. There's also many other similar great missions that you'll see in Fellowship Hall. But you can ask, will you have an adequate support and ministry budget? And that's been a hard on mine. Even, you know, for people who serve long term, are we even building up some savings for retirement? Because your colleagues back home typically have a house. They're making a mortgage payment and they're building up some home equity. 
But others, if you serve overseas for 30 years and you don't have any home equity, it's going to be tough when you reenter life in the United States. So I make sure, are we doing something adequate for retirement? Maybe even something more than what you would normally be doing in the U.S. because of that reason. Will, there, will you have funds for mission, uh, what do you call it, MK education, if God blesses you with children? Will you need a vehicle? Will you need funds for language study? For physicians and medical professionals, I always budget more for the monthly ministry expenses, knowing the medical supplies are expensive. And even going to conferences like the CMDA conference in Greece are expensive. So we budget carefully. Um, Ask the organization, how do you train and coach people to raise support? What's the average time that it takes for people to raise support? Um, How does your organization manage mission support and finances? Important questions. You probably have more. Our goal, our goal is that workers are spiritually healthy, vision-driven, fully funded, great commission workers. I actually have this picture in my office because in one picture it symbolizes what we do at SIM. That's Dr. Tim Kubaki in Angola. And here he's treating a young boy with tuberculosis, doing an examination of his knee, training a health worker on the left. But at the same time, I know Tim, he prays over every single one of his patients, not just caring for their physical need, but somehow that our loving father would touch their heart and bring them to Jesus. If you're interested in more information about SIM, go to our booth or go to simusa.org healthcare. But I want to hear your questions, your questions from this presentation. It must have brought up some thoughts. Yes, that's you. Right. But it seems like so much of the time is ending up being donor care mm-hmm. versus doing the actual mission work. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that unless you have like an administrative assistant who can write in hundreds of things? Right, right. I th- that's a great question. The question is, is how do you balance doing your ministry, whether it's in Africa and Asia, but also ministering back? Some of the successful workers that I've seen said, Doug, it's, he called it tithing your time. Not everyone can do it, but if you can carve out four hours a week, if you're married, you know, through your spouse, that you're doing ministry back to the people who support you. It's important. If you give up on that, you're going to lose the relationship. You're going to lose that prayer support and financial support. Yes, next question. Yes, Paul. What's, what, would, what do you recommend as a frequency of that communication back to your support? Okay. We generally uh, recommend at least monthly. Okay. There may be some people who want to even hear from you more frequently. And, you know, sometimes whether it's through text messages or the equivalent of a text message through an email or some people use Facebook or blog updates, you have to figure out your frequency. There are some people that want less communication. So you have to figure that out. Yes, next question. Yes. I'm just curious from kind of a biblical basis, when I read about Paul and kind of his tent-making approach to missions, that's like the one part of the Bible when I read it that can Mm -hmm. give me second thoughts Mm -hmm. about, you know, being fully support 
Yeah. I'm curious, you know, your your response to that. Paul was an awesome tent maker. I've even been to Corinth, and uh, my Greek friend showed me the part of the Agora, the marketplace, where he made tents. Do you know why he made tents besides um, the fact that he had some experience in it, where Corinth was located? They had Olympic-type games right outside of Corinth, and there weren't enough Motel 6s in the area back 2,000 years ago. And so people came. They needed something to live in. And Paul, having that experience, people came, bought tents, but he told them the gospel while doing his profession. But there's other times in the Apostle Paul's life where he was supported, you know, through gifts. He knew what it was to have plenty. My parents worked for the U.S. government in different embassies, but they did missionary work on the side. They didn't have to raise support. There's a number of people that serve with SIM that are involved in missional business. Even my own son, daughter-in-law, and grandkids, eight years in Afghanistan. You can't just go into Afghanistan and wear an SIM t-shirt and say, I'm a missionary. You have to have a valid reason. My son was both a pilot and an A&P mechanic, and they were there. He wore a uniform and did real work ministering to the Afghan people. And so God can use you in a variety of ways. There's even medical professionals that get funded through some local hospital university. Maybe you can have all of your financial needs met through a local job. Sometimes it's only going to cover a small portion. But there's flexibility in organizations like SIM, whether you are partially supported you know, through a local paycheck or whether you have no local paycheck. What else do you have? Yes. You were talking about um, training people um, to raise funds for like monthly support for versus like one time Yeah, and it's, that's an interesting question. How do you feel about raising monthly support? Um, I think you use the term, Elaine, one-time support. I generally don't encourage people to ask for a one-time gift. You know, um, Would you give a gift but only do it once, never do it again? I'm being facetious right here. You know, special gifts. You know, and I've received special gifts you know, almost year after year. Come out of nowhere. God prompts someone to give. I have other friends that make a large gift once a year, typically when they get their annual bonus from their work. I've got others that just give monthly. And so I let people give as God prompts them. It's all needed and it's all helpful. Yes? Yeah, I want to find out about this idea of working and being a missionary at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a good job or businesses that it obviously can raise money and all that, is it still uh, encouraged you to still go out there and still ask you know, for support? And in terms of, I know this is a question for you, but like, in terms of if you're a 501c status based um, yeah. organization and um, you're still working, yeah. can you still go ahead and still? Uh, it's a great question. I actually have a meeting this coming week with a couple where the husband is an executive in the oil and gas business, travels internationally, and yet God is calling them to move from you know, Houston to the Middle East. 
you know, and he can get another job, whether it's from one of the major oil companies or whether through a local one. But he doesn't know yet, you know, what job he's going to have. He's starting to test the waters, but yet they want to make the move, not just for his career, but to be gospel workers in a country where less than 1% of the people know, love, and follow Jesus. And so I've got all these different scenarios that we're going to talk about. You know, whether he has a great paycheck, doesn't need to raise any financial support at all, or whether he has a small one. He's got uh, several children, even one with special needs. And so education is going to be expensive. They also want to have a larger home so they can start a house church. So there's all these different things. And so already, because he doesn't know, you know, he's already, this family is already accepted in the pipeline. I told him, go ahead and raise financial support. I even had another friend of mine who was the executive vice president of one of the major banks in the U.S. And God called him to step down and join SIM and become a missionary. And he used to fly, not first class, he flew on the company jet, you know, in his business. And he didn't need money for a paycheck, but yet people gave funds because they believed in him and the ministry that God called him to do. And he and his family moved overseas and people gave so that he and his family could do ministry. So however the need is, God will lead, he'll open the doors, he'll provide I've seen some people start out almost, you know, at full mission support, do missional business, and then over years starting a missional business overseas, the business has become so successful, they've told their supporters, support someone else. I'm staying here, my business is supporting me, but get other gospel workers out here, my business can care for me. I've seen it all. I've seen it all. I want to close with one thing. I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to show you a three-minute video of, uh, hopefully it's going to queue up. I'm, uh, oh, come on here. Let's get this thing here. I'm the executive vice president of Dr. Tim Kubaki's fan club. Um, honorary. I love our overseas missionaries. And Dr. Tim, I can't brag on him enough. He's the one whose picture is on the wall. And I've got to stop the PowerPoint here and get that and come over here. And let's go with this. I'm from the United States, and I'm uh, here in Angola with my wife, Betsy, my daughter, Meredith, and we've been in Angola for about four years. We, we live in a rural area called Kavangu, and I spent two weeks a month there where we live, developing a clinic and a hospital, and then we also spent two weeks a month with math, flying to even more remote locations. I don't think we would go to a place where there was just a medical need. But we really want to, as Jesus did, we really want to combine uh, physical needs with spiritual needs. Our trip 
have government designated health posts, but the shelves are empty and there's no medicine. One of the reasons we want to go to villages that have health posts is because they have a worker, and that worker spends the day with me when we do our clinic, and so he's learning about every patient and every disease as we work through the day, and then he can apply that knowledge to his work. Uh, we are charging about $2 American uh, per consultation for the purpose of covering medicine. At the beginning of every day, we give a talk. We try to arm them with some tools that they can use to uh, improve their physical health and the physical health of their family. We talk about 10 minutes in, in how we can improve our spiritual health, and that really is a discussion about the kingdom of God. The diseases that I treat, such as malaria, tuberculosis, leprosy, schistosomiasis, onchocerciasis, we have measles when he was 13, and then he was blind. It's not an uncommon complication. Diseases, for the most part, that are relatively easily treated if people had access to modern health care. Vamos a Vamos a hablar que só Deus cura. Não doutores, não enfermeiros, não medicamentos. Então vamos pedir Deus ajudar, ok? pray. Father, thank you for this group. Thank you that we could hear your voice today, even through this video, that you're at work in Angola and in the uttermost parts of the world. Help each one here in this room to discover, to trust, to wait on you as you're leading them to serve you in your harvest field. In Jesus' name, amen.